This podcast is brought to you by House of Macadamias. I love macadamia nuts. They are incredibly good for you. They're the healthiest nut on a pound for pound basis, but they've always been hard to find and frankly, very expensive. House of Macadamias changes all that by going directly to farmers in South Africa to take the best nuts directly from each harvest. They turn them into incredible products, chocolate dip macadamias, protein bars, you name it. They taste incredible. I live off these products on a day-to-day basis. I'm a huge fan. Go to houseofmacadamias.com backslash Noah, use the code NOAH20 and you won't be disappointed. Welcome to the Uncharted podcast. Uncharted is a community of some of the world's best entrepreneurs, founders, investors, creatives, and beyond. At our dinners and at our annual summit in New York, we have dialogues with people who are truly at the top of their game across every industry. This podcast is designed really to offer the world and the audience a peek into the magical conversations that happen behind closed doors at our events, and more importantly, a peek into the brains of people who are truly at the top of their game. My goal with every guest is that if you know them well, you'll hear them talk about something or say something they've really never said before, and if you've never heard of them, you'll know exactly what makes them such a badass by the time the episode is over. Welcome to Uncharted. We're glad you're here. So this is funny for me because we're pretty good friends here and I've gotten to know you yeah. quite well. But when I call you the D to C King, I'm like, you know, partially I'm like, I'm pumping your tires because you're my boy and it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But in other ways, it's like, that is what you've become known as. Sure. And that's a non-trivial thing. D to C is a big category, right? It's a real, it's a real thing. It's blown up and, and you're, you're the D to C guy, right? I know you brand yourself and you've been very strategic, but you're only 26, Right. And so to do that at such a young age is non-trivial and it doesn't happen by accident. And so Hint Water, as I understand it, was really the origin. So I want to get into the story and for the purposes of this audience, Uncharted, people who know you or are not are just getting to know you, I want to try to get some real alpha about your story. Uh, tell us about actually how this went down in the early days, right? You skipped college, you get an internship or something with Hint, like walk us through the specifics of how it actually went down where they decided that they're going to bet on this young kid, no one's ever heard of Nick Sharma, to put them on the map. How'd that, how'd that happen? Yeah, so it actually goes back a few years uh, when I was in high school. And basically in high school, I was doing kind of like freelance social media for different celebrities. And, um, you know, it wasn't really much, but it was essentially a, a light form of strategy, not like decks and reports and all that, just, you know, a light form of strategy and managing posting. What year is this? This is 2013, 2012 probably to 2014. Well, so, some celebrities <laughs> are just trying to figure out what the hell do I do on social? Yeah, everybody's mainly Facebook pages. Got it. Uh, Twitter was kind of important. Instagram wasn't really a thought. And and it was it was just, it was a lot of like doing the things that they didn't even find to, they didn't think were important. Right. So it was, you know, at the time too, all these Social channels were looked at as like broadcast channels, one way, you know, loud, um, forget, like, like, like a megaphone, a digital megaphone. And that's kind of how it always was until really I would say Twitter became a part of the conversation and then Instagram for sure. And um, so I, I, I just love testing things, you know, thinking like, okay, well, I think if we, you know, kind of make fun of, um, memes that are being tagged about Pitbull and we retweet that with something, I think we'll get more engagement. Out Who are your early clients? Like some examples. Um, so it was the, the, Pitbull had a management, has a management company or had, I don't, I, I just know he was a part of it called Latium Entertainment. And so 
under that it was like Pitbull, Magic, mm. uh, Danny Mercer, who was um, he had a couple songs, uh, Frankie J, and and then sidebar to that was um, probably a handful of other artists that people have probably not heard of. And, niche um, music people yeah, were the initial niche. clients. Yeah. And so they definitely weren't having a two-way relationship with fans. They no, were just broadcasting. They were just trying to get a one-way. <laughs> right. Or trying trying to build it. And, and you're so, some young hustling high school kid and you're like, yeah, I got this. Yeah, I'm in this. high school. Pay I me. remember like, uh, you know, dropping dropping friends off at some party, going to Starbucks and then writing, you know, in an Excel sheet without formulas. I probably should have used formulas, but like writing down like follower increase day over day and then emailing that as a report. And um, so Were you that, making good money? Uh, good for high school. Yeah. Like probably a few grand a month. It was solid. That's real high school money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought like, okay, I, I'm comfortable. Yeah. You know? Um, and is that when you were like, like, what was the threshold at you, at which point you were like, maybe not college? Honestly, all throughout high school. Mm. Um, just because like the sounds so cliche, but like sitting in a classroom listening to whatever it was it would literally go in one ear and out the other yeah except um certain math classes uh physics i loved physics Mm. um technology and any kind of like creative classes so like economics i would consider somewhat creative uh creative writing is different i loved that kind of stuff um and also like you know the pottery and the woodwork because it's like you're just using your hands and building things but dude, I remember, I mean, I remember specifically there was a seventh grade, seventh grade was like world history. There was a specific test. Um, Mesopotamia was involved. I don't remember the full context, <laughs> but I remember being able to recite every answer and and know everything. And then the second it was like, it was the same thing, but now on a test paper flunked. Hmm. Um, so I was just never a good student, never a good test taker. And so I always thought like, okay, I wonder if I actually need college to succeed. Cause in my head it was, okay, I'm going to the school. Then I have to, you know, nail the SAT or the ACT. Then I have to nail the college app and then nail an interview and then go to college, spend four years there by the third year, decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life and then get out. And then I got to go find a job. And then hopefully like, you know, the family and the picket fence and the long driveway and the two Mercedes cars will just appear. Yeah. And so magic. Yeah. Just like magic. Yeah. But, but you're already making a few grand in high school. Yeah. What ended up happening after high school was there was a, an ad tech company I saw starting in San Francisco and I basically just cold Facebook messaged the guy and said, I see you're starting this new company. I will, I'll come be your intern for the summer as long as you got like a bed for me to sleep in and you got my flight, I'll come do anything. Damn, burn the boats. And so, yeah. And so the next day we jumped on Skype, had a video call. And the day after that, I had my Southwest flight from San mm. Diego to San Francisco, one way ticket. And um, actually burned the boats. Damn. Yeah. Damn. And it was, uh, it was very much like a let's do it tomorrow kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like Shout we out were talking about. Yeah. So. I get to San Francisco and it's just, it's kind of, everything's up in the air. There's no formal job description. There's no formal nothing. But basically the first few months I kind of spent just being an intern, getting this guy salad from downstairs, uh, finding somebody to come put up the sign in the office, um, you know, setting up Gmail for the company, like random stuff. And then slowly it morphed into more of the, so there's two sides to this ad tech business, the publisher side, which is the, um, 
the supply side mm. and then the the advertiser side, which is the demand side. And so it was a programmatic advertising company. And so my job was to go get as many publishers on board as possible so we could you know build up our supply and then go sell to advertisers. And in that process, um, I ended up finding out a way to turn these publishers into money makers, which is a lot of these publishers run paid traffic to their own sites. And most of the big publishers we know, uh, take Refinery29, for example, they will run a ton of paid traffic to their 29 peppermint products you need this holiday season, right? And so what my job was to do was figure out how could I get them traffic more efficiently than what they're currently doing and <clears throat> in a way that is um, cost-effective to them. Then there's this whole other world of publishers that sit at the bottom of these TechCrunch articles or MSN articles, and it's like all these like crazy uh, clickbait headline and clickbait image and it's like, you know, you won't believe what this celebrity looks like 27 years later. Yeah. And you just want to click it. Bottom of the page stuff. Exactly. And those guys, they will spend about a hundred to $200,000 a day. And their goal is to make, you know, 1.4 times back. So if they can make 40% on what they're spending, that's a good day for them. So the parameters was basically, you know, five to six page views, a U.S. desktop user, and a click under three cents. That was the goal. And I was able to do that with Facebook at the time. And we started pumping traffic to all these, um, all these publishers. So then um, I ended up leaving the ad tech company. And After the internship? Uh, actually, no. So I, after the internship, I stayed there for about two years total. So I was there until probably the, um, probably the beginning of 2016, uh, like maybe right after the first quarter. And then I left and basically just started freelancing media buying. Why'd you leave? Lots of complicated legal complications with the founder. Um, so I was just like, I don't want to be a part of this Got it. shit show and yep. I'm out. And so um, but you're, at this point, you're, you're pot committed. I'm not going to college. Pot committed. Yeah. yeah. So that actually happened. Um, there was a weekend after the internship. I was supposed to fly back to San Diego, pack my bags, head to school. And I wrote my parents an email that said, sorry, I'm not doing this. Hmm. And I think like any time you probably look back and you're like, all right, I could have handled this much better. But at the time I basically wrote, sorry, I'm not, I don't want to live your dream hmm. of me going to college. I'm going to do this and just see what happens. Hmm. And my mom instantly, maybe not instantly, like within a week or two was like, all right, like I can bet on this kid doing fine. This kid, um, my son. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the family... You know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, they were just like... Pressure to do something else. Yeah, you're insane. Mm. Like, um, So anyways, so then I spent about two years there, left and started freelancing um, at the time. So I was doing media buying freelancing and then set up another small shop to basically... I, I saw this arbitrage opportunity of airspace on Snapchat, meaning geofilters had just come out. Yeah. And they had not uh, segmented the airspace of geofilters, meaning like, you know, if you wanted mm. to cover your apartment for five bucks, you could do that. Mm. If you wanted to go cover Staples Center for like 80 bucks, you could also I do that. I remember that yeah. vividly. You'd go so to they like ended a up bar, like breaking yeah. it out. But until they did, um, me and a buddy of mine, we, we realized like, okay, we can actually package this as airspace. Um, 
and sell this to other companies. So then we said, okay, what companies are incentivized to spend a crazy amount of money to reach consumers? And it's not necessarily like brands because with brands, you're going for like a, a purchase or a single purchase. There's a, a decent amount of friction involved. Um, so we said, all right, we're going to go for mobile games. There was this one specific one called Cooking Fever, which was at the brink of like 99 million monthly active users at wow. the time. What year are we in? 2016. 2016. And they were trying to get to 100 million. So uh, my partner in this, his name was Yogan. He had this relationship with this guy at Cooking Fever and was like, dude, we can go, we can go, uh, iHeartRadio is about to put on their entire Jingle Ball tour. We can cover the airspace of Jingle Ball with an, with a really fun That's like inst, uh, Snapchat geo filter. And you designed it. Yeah, we designed it. Or we we had like a guy named Lewis, I think, who lives in but Australia. But someone in your entity designed yeah, the thing. Exactly. It's full stack. Yeah, I got it. And so, um, so we sold it for I don't know, probably like a thousand, two thousand bucks. It cost us like you know a thousand, two thousand bucks per what? <clears throat> per night covering like Staples Center. And however many. Yeah, and you had like they get. Ariana Grande performing yeah. and Fifth Harmony and all these big acts. So and he's so, paying, just to be clear, Cooking Fever is paying $2,000 for a night of coverage at Staples Center when Ariana Grande is performing with all those people who are going to be on Snapchat the whole time and your filter is going to pop up for Cooking Fever. Yes. Two, and two grand. Not only that, but we would brand it as like, you know, 1027 Kiss FM. Yeah. Um, which for legal purposes, hopefully, hopefully nobody's yeah. listening to this. <laughs> You're good. But... Um, but, the, you know, at the very bottom right, it had Cooking Fever's logo. The whole filter was designed in Cooking Fever's branding, except the 1027 Kiss mm. FM. And so the idea was like, all right, we can get all these people who are on Snapchat to post. Everybody at the time was swiping over. I don't 100%. think anybody does that now. But at the time, everybody was swiping was over behavior, yeah, yeah. to see the, uh, the geo filters. And we could see how many hundreds of millions of eyeballs they got because we can track how many people... Uh, swiped through and didn't click us, how many yeah. people actually used it. And then of the people that used it, how many total impressions did were, um, were All gained. through Snapchat's platform. Yeah. And so we could track like, you know, when Fifth Harmony uses it. Right. And, and we could see the outcome of that. So we did this for probably, I don't know, probably a year before it fizzled what out. What an insane but arbitrage, We did like GEZ's tour the same way. Oh, my God. We, we used to do like, uh, there was a big club in L.A., uh, called Warwick, which is where at the time all all these massive celebrities yeah. would go in Snapchat, and so we used to put filters on top of Warwick every weekend. Um, so yeah, it was it was a great little like side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm, I'm just I'm, I can't get over two grand to cover Ariana Grande's concert for a yeah, brand. and that was one insane. of the Jingle Ball tour. Yeah, we did the whole country insane for Jingle Ball. Um, what a deal for but that But it was brand. all about finding like an arbitrage, yeah. but also a win-win-win situation. Where is it a win for the person using the filter, us, and also the person paying us? Yeah. And so we were always going for the win-win-win scenario versus just like a win-win. Right. Um, That's, I mean, just pulling back, pulling up from the things you've told me since we started here, the original story of you in high school with the social media for the celebrities yeah. and then going in and working with this guy with the the two-sided publishing marketplace and then the Snapchat thing, the common theme of all that is finding a very exploitable arbitrage in 100%. the market with advertising, which really is what makes a good marketer, right? I think 100%. at least in our world. It's like world, knowing where the arbitrages are and finding it constantly. Else finds right. It. So you found it in three different entities and, and three different examples over yep. the course of three years and you're only 22 at this point, not even, right? Yeah. And then, so how did how did it happen with Hint? What was the arbitrage so, you found there? 
so then, um, so when I was at the ad tech company, we used to order a bunch of hint water and we were probably like the only account spending a few thousand dollars a month on hint water. And so early days um, of hint. Yeah. And so we would, we would, we would, uh, you know, I, I would just basically tweet hint and they would know exactly who we were because, uh, having been there too, I know that like, you know, the, the, usually the maximum for an online order is 15 cases. Yeah. I don't think you can order any more than 15. And so, you know, we used to order like a whole pallet at a time. So it was super inefficient, but yeah. we got on their radar and, um, and I always, anytime I know somebody who works at a company and I see their product on display, I'll always just send them a picture. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes I was a long walking, way in our world. Yeah. hundred percent. People love that. And so I was walking through Whole Foods and I saw Hint on the shelf and I just, you know, fixed the labels, sent a picture to the founder. <laughs> You're already working for her. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, um, you know, we should meet up and, and get coffee. Hmm. We met up and got coffee. And then she said, you know, I, I would love some help with building my personal brand. And so I started helping with that. And then that slowly morphed into basically a job at Hint where I was overseeing, really it was just performance marketing. But uh, you know, the D to C team was like me and two other people. Mm. So started there and how, know, how big was the D to C business at that point when you joined? Um, pretty small, like probably a, a 10th of what it was when I left. Okay. And so my goal was, you know, try to go in and I remember meeting the first time I came to New York, not as a kid was with Hint to meet with our agency here. And I remember going through the agency's numbers and then I met with, this guy, Julio, who's now the CFO of Hint. And at the time, he was the CFO of uh, Data Miner, which mm. is like another another company. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's like the, he's a board member at the time. So I met with him and this is the first time I'm meeting a board member of a big company. I'm like, you know, You're 20 like, years old. Good call to burn the boats, not go to college. Yeah. <laughs> you can't and do so, this in marketing class. Yeah. yeah. So I meet with him and he's like, just so you know, this, you know, whoever is in this role does not last long. So mm. either figure out how you're going to last long or, you know, make it quick. Yeah. Had a boy kid. There's um, a pat on the back for you. Yeah. So I was like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> that's motivating. Yeah. And I got back to New York, opened up Facebook and I realized, you know, these guys are paying $5 a click, $6 a click. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, I was just getting five cents a click. Five cents a click was a bad click. Uh, you know, the goal was like three cents. So then you start looking this at, is at okay. the publishing thing you were doing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So then I started thinking, okay, what are these guys selling? They're basically selling, um, they're basically selling you something that is zero calories, zero sugar, um, you know, zero sweetener. Yeah. And they're selling you a 20% off offer. That's really what they're selling you. Yeah. So I thought, okay, when we were doing this and getting, you know, clicks at one, one hundredth the cost um, we were selling entertainment. We were selling, uh, a good use of your time. We were selling, you know, something that got you excited to click. And so I just thought, okay, we just need to change. We just need to change how we're pushing this, how we're talking about this. And so at the same time, the hustle had started hmm. and I went to the hustle and said, um, Hey, why don't you guys put up an article, the founding story of hint? Uh, you can actually still search it. If you search the hustle, sweetie. And you put up this story. Um, you can have your email capture. Just please no ads on the page. Mm. And um, we're going to just drive a bunch of traffic. We're yeah. going to get people to read the story. And then people are going to get emotionally excited about the story. And then they're going to want to try the product because they can now tie something emotional yeah. to it. 
and it worked. Like mm-hmm. we went from, you know, 80 customers a day was a good day on D2C. 80, 80 orders per day, 80 uniques per 80, day. Yeah, 80 unique new customers. Yeah. Um, to like within two weeks, three weeks, 5,000 new customers. Wow. CPA All went from, from that, like, or, all right, sorry, continue. Yeah, CPA went from like 80 to 25. Wow. And it was just like, uh, I remember feeling like there's no, there's no drug that can give you yeah, that feeling. hundred percent. Of just cranking on ad spend. Yeah. And it's all real. It's real customers. Profitable. We also reorders. saw that, you know, because we did it with this emotional approach, um, very quickly, half our revenue turned into subscription revenue. Wow. And so it was just, it was a major catalyst in, in Hint's business and kind of in with me too, because that was the first time I've That's ever done direct to consumer. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done That's D2C huge. before that. And That's so huge. ever since then, you know, then, then from there growing Hint was like, okay, fi- figuring out channel by channel, you know, what do we do for affiliate yeah. and email and TV and podcast? And I want to stick stuff. on that first moment though. So you, yeah. you, the arbitrage you found was... All right, Sam and the Hustle yeah. have a uniquely entrepreneurial and open-minded audience. Maybe. I don't want to put words in your mouth. It would be cool to hear the story of how Hint started and use that as like a honeypot to drive traffic to because I believe that that, getting them emotionally invested in the story, credibility, all the things that come with earned media yeah. is going to be beneficial, right? And so you get the article written yep. and then you use that instead of just the normal ads that they were running, right? Which were probably okay and fine. You said, I'm going to drive ads to this thing, which may not convert directly as well, but it's going to get people invested. Yep. And that's a breakthrough moment. Yeah, sort of. So very close. The only difference is uh, we didn't care for their audience. So Sam could have had zero site visitors. He could have had a million. You wanted it to, it tra- wouldn't matter. to, to drive traffic. We to just it. needed the piece of content to exist somewhere that we could drive traffic. That wasn't your own site. That wasn't our own site, yeah. Mm. And also that wasn't a um, a publisher. We did it with like uh, massive publishers, one that I've even named here so far. Yeah. <laughs> and we got six sales out of a $50,000 wow. engagement, wow. thinking it would do really well considering, you know, we paid the hustle a flat fee of 5K. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to do affiliate, so we just did 5K. So they weren't even incentivized to drive any traffic. Yeah. I don't think I don't know if they did or I don't think they did. Yeah. But it was just us paying Facebook, pushing this article as a native piece of content in somebody's feed, and um, and it just worked really well. And so uh, that was the arbitrage we found at that time. And then at one point, what happened was probably in um, once you did that was hint like okay you're the guy like this is unbelievable pretty much Got yeah it. That, it was so like, that was the moment <laughs> yeah. that was when the D to C king turned on turned on so he switched <laughs> yeah. on he was like all right yeah. I'm here the king has arrived yeah got it and um, so that's 2017 that was 2017 but then in 2018 Facebook um, basically flagged or didn't allow us to run this strategy strategy anymore. It started out with, uh, we had like a 13% click-through rate on Facebook, which is almost unheard of. Insane. And it triggered um, a system, you know, something in in the compliance office. And this was also right before elections. So this is also why it it sucked, is they Hmm. were really cracking. They always cracked down election year. And so they basically shut off our ad account for, I think, like a week or two. Because you were too good? Yeah, it was too good. They were like, too something good. is wrong here. That's baller. Facebook yeah. thought you were fake because you were so good. <laughs> yeah. D to C king. <laughs> and so uh, so then we had to pivot. And then we realized, okay, we can actually do a very similar very similar strategy with influencers. And so we started creating content with YouTubers and Instagram stars and these viral Facebook page stars. And we would run it through their pages. We, we would say, you know, we will not only pay you for content, but 
we will um, we'll run it from your handle. You're going to get millions of impressions. Uh, we can probably get you verified as a byproduct mm. of all this because right. of our relationship with Facebook. And um, <clears throat> and so and that was never a part of the deal for the yeah, legal records. But it was you know we also that's how we learned like okay verified whitelisting has a you know 30% higher click through rate than a non verified whitelisted ad. And a whitelisted ad in general has a much higher click-through rate than, you know, a normal ad coming from the brand. And, um, and so, yeah, so basically all this whitelisting stuff that people are doing now, we were doing this about five years ago. And, um, and I think that was the arbitrage of that time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, the, I mean, the, the trend continues to be, when we un- this is amazing, unpacking your story, finding arbitrage early, exploiting it doing it basically on the highest scale and leveling up each time. And now just to fast forward to catch the audience up, if they don't know who Nick Sharma is right now, Sharma Media, Sharma Brands, you are a mix between a holding company and an agency and now a brand launcher, basically doing whatever the arbitrage of the moment is at scale for a select number of brands. Did I get that right? Yeah. So we have have four companies. One is um, called Sharma Management Holdings. That basically holds any of the brands that we buy or launch. Um, and any new companies, any, any new services, businesses we create, uh, one of which is called Hooks, which yep. is just landing pages as a service. Yep. I want to come back to that and um, talk about that, but keep going. Yeah. yeah. Then the second one we have is called 1180, which almost takes the strategy of what we were doing for Hint with the uh, publishers and with the creators, but we productize that as an agency service. And so we do that for tons of brands that you probably know, Caraway, Milk Bar, Buffy, Barabee, et cetera. And then, um, and that's 1180, just to clarify and make sure the audience gets this and I get this, that is taking earned media-esque stories that add credibility to the brand on third-party published websites yep. and driving traffic to those through traditional paid media channels. Yeah. Got so it. basically the, the lift on the client side is uh, they tell us what the CPA goal is, and then it's up to us to do the rest, to place the content, create the content do all the media buying, do all the testing. Hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of have like an internal rule. We don't scale until we hit your internal CPA. And then once we hit your internal CPA, then there's a stretch goal of, okay, we call it the black card CPA. If, the, if we hit the CPA, we need the black card. Yeah. We don't want to stop spending. <laughs> black card CPA. <laughs> so there's the to internal the CPA and the black card CPA. And then the third company is, um, uh, is Sharma Brands. And that's where... We launch brands, so brands like Feastables or Jolie or Give Beauty. Uh, we work with you know large brands like Crocs, Bacardi, Everlane, uh, Beam Suntory, and then a bunch of brands in the middle doing anywhere from like 30, 30 to three hundred million in revenue. And a lot of that is um, basically innovation around e-commerce, direct to consumer. You know, right now we're going through Black Friday, and so. Uh, it could be anything from making sure their site is redeveloped for Black Friday. They got landers ready. We have all their offers good mm. to go. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. So, where <laughs> let's look at 2022 right now, holiday season. In this moment in time, we're in a post-iOS 14 world. Things are different. Yeah. Where is a Nick Sharma looking for arbitrage right now? Um, honestly, two two places. One is the 1180 stuff, which... Still's working. No, like when I say working, I mean like the iOS changes happened and CPAs didn't go up a dollar. Wow. And I'll explain why. It's basically because up until the iOS change, the ad platforms knew exactly, you know, if you went to Everlane's site, they knew, all right, Noah came to this site. Um, He scrolled down 35% of the page. He clicked the collections. He went into the sweater collections page. And then he went down and he started reading reviews 
But then he went back and looked at jeans, found a good jeans. He picked the size he wanted, and then he left. But then two days later, he went to Pop Sugar, and he actually read an article there. And then he came back to Everlane, but then he left. So now Facebook knows every step of that, right? Um, Pre-iOS 14 change, post-iOS 14 change, all they know is, oh, he looked at something in jeans, and then Pop Sugar can, can send the thing that he went to Pop Sugar, and that's it. So there's, there's really a huge lack of data that gets back to Facebook. Mm. And Facebook would use that. I always think of Facebook ads as like a person. Facebook ads would use that information to say, okay, based on Noah's intent being you know a 7.45 out of 10, we know that this exact combination of a visual creative and this copy served at this time on this device of his is going to have the highest probability to convert him. But all that data is gone. Right. And so the reason 1180 CPA hasn't gone up is because the goal now is to, you know, previously it was you could make all this very targeted creative, put it in Facebook, and Facebook does a good job of serving it. Now it is that you have to create content or creative where um, I have this weird, like, uh, visualization in my head where it's like, you know, you think of this imaginary funnel with clouds over it, <laughs> and you're like, some, you're hovering somewhere in there. Yeah. And we got to come up and grab your hand and then bring you down. Mm. And that's what the 1180 content mm. does is it's, it's more like what we call full funnel content, where whether you know all about Everlane and you're ready to go, or you don't know anything about Everlane, you need to be entertained to then, you know, create an interest in Everlane and then a desire to purchase. The content works both ways. Mm. Um, so that whole thing, 1180 does that really well. Hooks does it really well, too, because with landing pages, we always think about how do we educate somebody, you know, instead of giving them 20% off, how do we educate them to close that gap where they actually feel good about paying the full price? Or even though a lot of landing pages do have offers, the idea is how do we educate somebody so much to where they think this is a no brainer? Like, Mm. why haven't I bought this yet? Mm. And um, so those two, those two are there. I think another easy opportunity is just general, like, uh, you know, j- just like taking a step back and looking at what you're pushing. There's so many sites where, uh, or so many brands where they might run an ad for, let's say, you know, these Cole Haan shoes. And you see that in the ad, you click it, and then you get to like Cole Haan shirts. And it's just an easy miss. That's marketers don't often, yeah, marketers don't often think Sorry, of that. Sorry, Cole Haan. That's not, a, that's not an yeah, yeah. Cole Haan. Cole Haan, we still love yeah, Cole Haan. We still love Cole Haan. Um, so there's just like, you know, in D2C, it used to be pre-iOS that you could do 10 out of 12 things really well. And get away with the other And you could two. get away with it. And now it's like, if you don't do 17 out of 17 things mm. at 110% level, mm. you're just you're just as good as 99% of everybody else. Mm. Um, and we've seen that with a lot of our brands. Mm. So the 1180 stuff, just to make sure that this is resonating for the audience, you're, you're telling the Uncharted and Adweek world that in a post-iOS 14 world, this strategy that you've been executing really since Hint, which put you on the map of yeah. finding a way to blend purpose-built organic earned media, in quotes, with a paid media strategy to drive your customer base to another website that talks a story about you, has performed the same just as well as it did post and pre-iOS world. Yeah. And I think, too, like... That's the, powerful. Um, for the re- that's very powerful. Yeah. And I think the, the brands that we have on 1180, there's two qualifiers. So... One is it's got to be a brand that's well-known and well-loved. So you think of Milk Bar, very well-loved. Eight Sleep, very well-loved. You know, uh, Fabletics, very mm-hmm. well-loved. The second, this, it's, it's either that or... So they or, have to have awareness already. Yeah, or 
they've got to be a brand that has a very high barrier to entry, i.e. a 10-minute long quiz for pros to get your custom hair care formula or um, you know something that requires you to spend time. You have to have a really high level of intent to complete it. Mm. And so th- that's kind of the criteria we have for 1180. If you're mm. not one of those two, we're probably not the right fit. Mm. But... Um, Still powerful, but, but it's, it's still not powerful. for everybody. Yeah, but hooks. Hooks is for everybody. Hooks is for everybody. That's... Tell, tell us how you had the idea for hooks because I think this is a it's a nice entrepreneurial story. Of how yeah, it well, hooks is like another one where I was just like, this is an easy, um, you know. So basically, with Charmer Brands, one yeah. of the things that we always do is set up landing pages, right. and the idea is but like they have to be a client for you to do that. Yeah, they have to be a client, and so they're paying a, a retainer. Yeah, it's a big lift. Yeah, and so we would always get these requests from brands saying, hey, we're, you know, we're launching on TikTok. Can you build us a page that is made for TikTok, you know, when people swipe on TikTok? Yeah. Or we're launching, a, you know, a different type of a product. Our product pages aren't built for this. No one on our team has ever launched this category of product. Can you guys build us? You know, I'm just making this up. Yeah. Uh, Poopery launched a bidet. We yeah. built them a bidet page. Um, you know, they're like, we've never launched this before. It's a new category. Can you just build us this page? Yeah. And uh, when we do landing pages, we do all of the wireframing, which is basically placing what goes where, uh, the copywriting, yeah. the UI, so like the actual de- now designing it with the brand book in mind, and then fully developing it, and then QAing it. Mm. <clears throat> and then you hand it back to the brand. Yeah, and the final thing they get back is basically a live link. And so we tested it. Uh, I mean, we, we started getting so much inbound. We tested it with a couple brands. It worked really well. And um, we basically had one person internally kind of doing it one client at a time. So we tested it with three clients. It worked. And then I put this out in my newsletter where I just said, hey, yeah. if you would, um, I basically wrote out like, here's why you should use it. Here's how much it costs. Here's how the process works. Here's the timeline. Um, you know, kind of laid out everything super transparently. If you would pay for this, fill out this form and we'll be in touch. And, you know, we had like, 250 something people fill it out within 24 hours so i was like all right this is you know this is a million dollar business right here yeah and so then it was just about okay now you know getting the team in place to actually execute this i think we launched it within within a month of that survey going out and we landed on the name hooks because we're always testing different angles different hooks yeah and um yeah, I mean that's that to me. I love those types of businesses because yeah. it's like it's a scales. productized service. Yeah, it scales very. It's a very clear path to scaling it, and it is it is something that anybody could have started. I think theoretically, I mean the barrier to entry is not the tech here, right? You're using right. off the shelf software to it's do services. this, right? Like Brendan and I could start our own hooks if we wanted to. The variable exactly. here is that you have a decade of experience already somehow even being 26 finding arbitrage across every different place that you can find arbitrage so the the real variable is your brand and your team not your brand sorry your brain right and your team of just exploiting every nook and cranny on one page that's that's why not anyone could do this right yeah i also think one learning i got out of that was if there was just you know if you found the um uh you know the the nick sharma of a different space Somebody who, um, you know, somebody who's just seen a bunch of stuff and kind of sees the gaps. Those are also the best people to go to and say, what's the easiest way to go make 10 grand a month, right. 20 grand a month? Right. And uh, and almost just build a side hustle that could turn into something of, mm. of pretty significant value. Mm. I want to do a I want to do a question and change gears a little bit with the Adweek audience in mind. So I'm going to I'm going to assume for a second that a, a portion of the audience listening to this right now 
is running a company of some scale, right? That's selling a product. And I think a good chunk of those probably are not doing anything D2C right now, right? P- perhaps in the ad week world, I'm taking a leap here that I'm going to be right. There's a decent chunk of businesses that are more traditional in scale that want to go D2C. Yeah. If I'm a business, for example, just to give you something to latch onto, that's doing millions of dollars a year in retail, whatever it is, a consumable, CPG, apparel, it doesn't matter. And I want to try D2C, but I, ha- I have brand, I have it's legacy, people know it, but I want to go D2C and they come to you. How are you thinking about that transition? Um, well, if they're in retail, they've got pretty good like social proof in the sense of, you know, you, it's not that easy to get on these retail shelves. And so you kind of already have a leg up. Um, we had a few brands that were major retail players uh, that came to us to set up e-commerce when COVID first hit. Yeah. And it's basically, uh, you know, a couple things. One is like making sure you understand what sells through where so you can properly merchandise the site. Two is making it super easy to navigate the site. So the user experience of the site has got to be super easy. Um, And then three is just making sure that you have everything from a technology standpoint. So, you know, if if your goal is to quickly launch online, you might not be thinking about, uh, proper tracking for cohort analytics or subscription or gathering reviews or, um, you know, thinking about upsells and cross sells. And so really making sure that all those pieces are put together, um, is kind of the secret sauce. And if I'm all right, so here's a different one. If I'm a brand that's doing not traditional, yeah. newer brand, if I'm a brand that's doing a few million a year, a couple hundred grand a year in, in any category, and I come upon another million dollars to put into one channel, where am I putting it? It's a good question. I would say depending on what you're selling, um, you could probably go all in on a channel like TikTok um, or I would just keep pumping Facebook. Like I think most people can run Facebook until they're doing 10 to 15 million a year in revenue hmm. without seeing like um, a ceiling where it doesn't make sense. And I actually think that's one thing that a lot of the bigger brands don't take seriously is they, they try to diversify from day one yeah. versus just going all in on one or two channels where, you know, the budget is all, like the ad platforms can't work that well if you're giving them a Nothing. scarce budget. Yeah. So instead of spending, you know, um, uh, $10,000 a month on five different platforms, if you spend $50,000 a month on one platform or even 30 you're going to get learning so much faster and um, and probably be able to win a lot quicker. Hmm. Let's unpack the TikTok one for a second because I think there's <clears throat> there's a lot there's some controversy around it, but let's put that aside yeah. for a second because there's a lot of I think there's arbitrage in TikTok totally. right now. If I'm a brand and I want to start there and this is something obviously we're going to do with this podcast with a lot of the things we're doing with Uncharted, but let's just say I'm a brand, I haven't touched TikTok yet. What does that playbook look like? How do I how do I get live on TikTok? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's definitely a few different, there's probably two main different ways to do it, or three I can think of. Number one is um, the simplest way. Put a bunch of shit, or, oops. That's all right, I think all we right. can curse. Can we curse on this? All right. That's good. Put all a right, bunch cool. of shit on TikTok, <laughs> uh, organically. Yeah. Whatever pops. What kind of shit? I think, like, founder stories. You want stories, right? The best TikToks that you watch are the ones that have, they're basically mini movies. Yeah. That's what good TikToks are. They have like a, a character, they have a problem, a solution, some sort of a, a, a warm feeling at the end. Um, and you get some sort of, a, you, you kind of get like the, um, the, the most extreme 
reaction of the reaction you're trying to get. So if you're do, if it's something funny, like you you might laugh pretty hard. If it's something that makes you go wow, you're gonna be like yeah. you know, jaw dropped. So um, so I think put out a bunch of organic stuff, whatever does well. You light that as an yeah. ad, but you have to go to a landing page. You can't just go to your main site. Most most brands do go to their main site. You think people should be trying to convert right off the get? No. No, so build but brand it first. could go to a landing page where you collect first-party data, yeah. email, phone number, um, something similar to that. There's got to be something of value to there, yeah. right? Why Why should somebody put their email in or sh- put their phone number in? Um, this brand I'm actually wearing the hat of and drinking this this thing of is what called is Waterboy. Waterboy. They're a phenomenal example of what to do on What TikTok. brand is that again? I've heard of that before. Yeah, it's just a hydration powder. Who's um, behind it? This guy, Mike. Jajo and uh, someone from The Bachelor named Connor. Cool. Um, <clears throat> Shout out Waterboy. All right. They've built pretty much a eight-figure business over the last year-ish yeah. off of TikTok organically. And and then taking what does well there um, and running it as an ad. Mm. And it's just done really well. That's kind of been their main growth level. 1180-ish. A very 1180-ish. Yeah. Uh, so that's one way to do it. The second way to do it is what um, what I think a lot of like beauty brands should do, which is you – also, I'll say on the first one, another variation yeah. is actually what um, Jones Road Beauty does, which is the founder is just pumping out content. Whatever does that yeah. well there, they run that as an ad. And they're doing – is he doing like a podcast? Or she, he or she doing a podcast or no, something? No, she just like – she just films a bunch of TikToks. She just films TikToks and yeah. just makes them interesting and they have a good editing team that – pumps them out exactly you got to pump volume into the system but when they work they yeah, really it, go. it is all a numbers game yeah, it's really like advertising is a numbers yeah. and an engineering game hmm. um so the second way is basically you go find so there's a ton of creators on tiktok somebody with a hundred thousand followers is not really that big on tiktok yeah um it's probably the equivalent to having like 10k on yeah, instagram that's crazy maybe 5k on youtube yeah so what i would do is i'd make a list of creators between probably 20 and 50,000 followers, that shows, okay, they know how to make content that drives engagement and uh, and followership. Reach out to them, maybe make a list of like 75 of them, reach out to them and say, you know, will you basically create content in exchange for free product? Mm-hmm. And ideally you have some sort of a cool product. Um, and then they'll, you'll, they'll get their take on why they like the product. And ideally they're, they're a fran- fan of the brand or fan of the product or they become one and they create content in a really unique way. And, um, and then what you do is you take the, whatever does well out of that pool of 75, there might be eight that do really well, run those as an ad, also going to a landing page. The third way <clears throat> is very Facebook-esque in the sense that you have a very you know standard setup. You just upload a bunch of creatives and you just run it yeah. as ads. But yeah. the advantage of the first two is that you get a bunch of social proof going into the ad before it's run as an ad, you can also kind of validate if it's going to do well within mm. the algorithm. Because the thing about TikTok ads too, there's a there's a culture in the comment section of TikTok. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you don't understand TikTok comment culture, you're going to get you rocked. Will, you will get obliterated 100%. when you run an ad. Tone deaf. Yeah, yeah. tone deaf. I mean, you get you, TikTok like is most, so fast. Yeah, eh? most most ads. If you look on TikTok, they have their ads off. Yeah, I mean, their comments, comments off because they can't keep because up. yeah, people just destroy them in the comments. Yeah, and so. And it's also Crazy. a good sign to people who are in tune with TikTok of, okay, these guys clearly aren't selling anything right. of value or they're not selling anything that interesting because they had to turn the comments off. Right. And so... That's an interesting little yeah, piece it's a of very alpha. Little if, you see someone, if, if you see something on TikTok where the comments are turned off, 
generally, with exception, but generally, it means that whoever's behind it is probably slightly out of touch with the culture of TikTok, which does yeah. move at the speed of sound. Yep. But that can be a huge leg up for a brand, right? Totally. Like a lot of these brands who I'm trying to think of examples were like quick to capitalize on TikTok culture, like Ryanair, right? The yeah. the airline. Yep. They are a budget airline, sort of like Spirit. Their their shtick is almost that it's like a shitty airline, right? <laughs> yeah. But their TikTok person just like leans into it and makes Crashes. these hilarious TikToks of the plane like messing with people. Yeah. And I saw one where like someone complained about a window seat because it was like the little exit row and it was like this little dot and they responded with just like a little circle of the little tiny window of like, hey, suck it, like you did have a window, <laughs> and they're all and people just love it because it's like they're leaning into it right? 100%. and so there's alpha to be had there but you got to be quick on totally. TikTok. you got to be super quick um so yeah i think that those are three three easy ways to like uh test and grow on TikTok. and TikTok is a is a channel too that moves super quick so you have to if you're going to run TikTok, it's not like facebook where you can set something and, and test it for about a week or let it run for a week it's like if it doesn't work within a couple days you've got to be ready to swap things out so fast you've got to be ready to test things on on the page you're driving to TikTok also has a like an instant pages product within TikTok that you could build on and so um so yeah, but I think, yeah, a million bucks, I would either do that or I would probably go to YouTube and go find YouTube influencers and um, mm. and see what I could do for a million dollars and negotiate a bunch of influencers down as, as, as far as possible. Um, that would also probably do really well. Have you seen good examples of um, on YouTube, like a brand that's not huge yet? Like, because to get YouTube, I think there's a ton of arbitrage and opportunity because people are so engaged, right? The audience, yeah. re it, a YouTube subscriber is like orders of magnitude more valuable than a TikTok subscriber or follower. Right. Have you seen good examples of a TikTok influencer strategy executed well for a brand that's not worth tens of millions of dollars and can just throw money at it? A TikTok strategy that's you worked well. YouTube strategy. A YouTube strategy that's worked well for, for a smaller, smaller brand. brand. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's two ways to do it. One is you have to remember YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. Wow. Behind, you know, Big Daddy Google. Right. So having having a set of influencers that you just send product to who may be small influencers. They don't have to you don't have to do this for the purpose of sales. But people who can actually unpack their eight sleep and set it up and mm. and visually show the whole process and talk about their emotions as they lay on the bed for the first time. That is super powerful because yeah. YouTube and I think TikTok very quickly is where people go to find reviews or search for reviews. Mm. So that's one. The second way is, you know, like um, there's different agencies. One that we work with is called Centus. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, um, you know, like Juneshine, you want to run a TikTok campaign? Uh, you know, give us your budget. Okay, 50K. All right, here's all the creators we can get. And, you know, we'll run it. And most of the time we've worked with Centus specifically the the CPA is usually like five to ten percent lower than Facebook. Mm. The difference is like Facebook, you can rely on it every day. Yep. Versus this is you know a one off campaign. Uh, and it's creator creator led. Yeah, it's creator led. Right. right. Um, but yeah, so I think there's definitely ways you could do it. Um, and I also think there's you know most people when they think about creator marketing or influencer marketing, their goal is you know they they come from this mindset of <clears throat> uh, ad platforms. And so the first thought is, okay, I need to go use Grin or, um, you know, one of these like platforms or agencies yeah. that'll do it fast and quick and mm. big. But the reality is, is like, you know, when I was at Hint, I think one of our biggest advantages was I knew every single influencer in New York 
uh, and we were homies. Like yeah. We still are homies till today. Right. And I can send them water and I can send them product. They'll let me know when they're running out. And it wasn't like we were paying them huge amounts of money for stuff either. But you add the, you know, the, the masala of the relationship mm. on top of what, what you do with them. Yeah. yeah. And it makes the campaign 10 times stronger. Yeah. Um, so I think there's also a lot of value in like building real friendships with these people, not just, oh, I found you on a platform. Here's yeah. five grand. Yeah. You know, I'll see you in two weeks. Mm. I think a, a thread there that relates, frankly, to what the TikTok thing with brands and really any type of marketing is just people are smarter than can, the consumer is smarter then I think a lot of marketers want to give them credit for. And I think people can smell bullshit from a mile away, yeah. which is why the, the, what TikTok has done and Twitter has done is just put a, a megaphone and an instant feedback loop against what the consumer really thinks, right? Because if something's tone deaf or something's off the mark, you're done You'll immediately, right two seconds after yeah. you post it, it's like, oh, you got ratioed or <laughs> someone posted a TikTok comment and now they're all going to follow suit of like, what the hell was that? Totally. Right. And so the authenticity, I mean, what you're describing with the creators and knowing them personally, it all comes down to, it's not easy, right? But just trying to be the most authentic you can is usually what works. Totally. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, it, it, like from a marketer standpoint, you have to remember that you also have to create experiences with the mindset of, all right, this is my grandma going on, yeah, you know? And so we got to make it as easy for her to do, but also not easy enough to where it's like kind of shit. Yeah. And people will see that through and through. Hmm. I'm conscious of time here. So I want to do a little bit more. You've worked with a lot. Of, you've seen a lot of celebrity brands launch. It's a hot topic, right? With Top Shelf, we get asked all the time, what do you think of celebrity founded booze brands? And I have yeah. a specific answer. I want to hear your take on when you look at a celebrity brand and what's worked and what hasn't, what is usually the differentiator between when you think it's terrible versus amazing? Um, probably two main things, maybe two and a half. All right. Um, the half is that the celebrity has to have social media. There's been some brands <laughs> that we've would looked help. at, yeah. yeah, where the celebrity doesn't have a social media uh, presence, and so it's like okay, feels painfully obvious, but okay, yeah. So this person can only really tell the story about the involvement on through TV. earned media yeah. or TV. Yeah. So that's the point five. Um, the full one is the celebrity has to be truly involved. Like if this is a person who is just a face, it's not going to work. Mm. Um, as much as whoever the real team is pretends that they're involved. If they're not actually involved, it doesn't work. They have to actually care. Yeah, they have to actually care. They have to know the products inside and out. And, you know, they have to be willing to be on the phone calls, be in the meetings, talk through the product, learn about the product, all this kind of stuff. Can you tell if that's going to happen by the way the contract is written? Uh, yeah, you absolutely could. Because there's... What does a bad example look like of when it's not aligned? Um... You know, there's there's a ton of celebrity beauty brands out. You don't, have to, you don't have to name the brand. I more so mean like, what would the contractual relationship oh, look like? Yeah. Not to put people on blast here. Unless I know, you want I was trying to, to think how to do it. In which case, not doing that. feel free to know. Well, I don't so, wanna... so there is like a, a a young pop star beauty brand, for example. There's a few. Yeah. There's there's ones where you can tell. All right, this celebrity is all in. Mm. Like their their lifestyle has become wanting to build this company wanting to educate people on the products and the formulations. 
And then there's others you can tell there's there's very strict like contractual obligations. I actually don't know if it is easy to tell from a contract because mm. there's another company in my portfolio that's the relationship started as like a WME esque or it was WME put the deal together. Yep. You know, there's um, there's compensation based on performance or, and then there's deliverables like every quarter, every year they have to hit. But this celebrity got so involved and so excited, like, you know, she blows right past through the uh, the list of things she has to do. Um, the other so example, yeah, the other example on the flip side where it doesn't work is, you know, it's like, all right, well, I did my three posts. Like, I don't know what you, what else you want yeah, me to do. It's not my fault. It's not selling. Yeah. And, and those brands really never work. Yeah. Um, unfortunately VCs still back, back them like crazy. Mm. Um, but, but those are the, that's probably the biggest differentiator. And then the second one that I was thinking of was, um, Oh, it's got to be a celebrity who actually has a relevant audience. So, you know, we've worked with brands where the celebrity partner is somebody who was famous a decade ago or two decades ago. And at that time, there was no YouTube. There was no, you know, Instagram following. And so the audience that this person has is not as engaged. Yeah. and so I think it's like, they've got to be relevant. They've got to be able to push. I, I always will bet on YouTubers. I think YouTubers have the best audience, mm-hmm. the most loyal audience. Um, and after that, it, it comes down to, you know, how involved is the celebrity within the brand? You could also have, for example, you know, Love Wellness is a perfect example of a brand built by Low Bossworth, reality show star. I think it's reality show. I'm actually not 100% yeah. sure. And, but she hustled and she grinded and yeah. she's in the business and she's in every meeting yeah. and copied on every email yeah. and responds to slacks in two seconds. And that's a perfect example yeah, of something where, yeah, she gives a shit. And because of that, the business does very well. Mm. Um, so yeah. Cool. Let's do some, uh, before you have to go, let's do some quick fire, <laughs> just idea generation of, I'll give you a celebrity. Okay. And you tell me what D2C product you think they should launch. Okay. And you can either defend it or just go off the cuff. Cool. Harry Styles. Ooh. Um, I think he might have done this actually, but some sort of like nail polish. Okay. I don't know if he already did that, but otherwise... I, w- I like wish I knew. That's the, a good uh, idea. Yeah. The, the e-commerce business around painting nails, press-on nails, brands like Olive and June, Glamnetic, phenomenal businesses. Hmm. Yeah. Great margin, great sell-through, good take rate. Good business. Um, Ariana Grande. She actually has a beauty brand. Oh, she does? Yeah. She has a a beauty brand called Rem Beauty. How's Um, it doing? I'm not sure. Okay. (laughs) Maybe they should call you. Maybe. Ariana Grande. (laughs) Hit up up D2C King. (laughs) All right. Who's another one? Uh, Have you you thought of any where you're like, God, this person just needs to be doing something in D2C? Yeah. Well, there's a few that we're working on right now. Uh, if I were to think of others, you know, I talked with, um, Danny Duncan, who's a big YouTuber. We've always just jammed on different ideas. Uh, one at one point was like canned water, uh, before liquid death got huge. Um, another one Mm. was like a, um, you know, a manscape esque trimmer Mm. for down there. Um, the, the hard part is like, you could have a really good creator and you just have to figure out what is a product that will actually drive sell through with their yeah. audience. And you know? it and is a good product that's worth selling. Yeah. Like right? if we were to do a um a gaming headset with Danny, it probably you know, it would probably be cool, but it wouldn't do well because right. his audience isn't that. Right. Yeah. For sure. 
Um, all right, who's another celebrity that should launch a D2C brand? I'm trying to think of examples. Do you have any examples? Big celebrity? Johnny Depp, now that he's back in favor. Johnny Depp. It's a good one. Because uh, he was he was untouchable for a while, and now he's, yeah. now he's back in the game. Honestly, I would probably think something like alcohol, mm. something that hits mass retail. Because when you have a celebrity that big. You're right. Um, Let's fund that. Top shelf. We're doing it. Yeah, Let's do there it. you go. Johnny, if you're listening, Probably do us. a tequila Let's and do sell it. pretty well. Or, or mezcal. Uh, like, you know, something related to pirates. Yeah. <laughs> probably do, do whatever pirates used to. Yeah, Jack rum. Sparrow rum. Actually, a rum drink would you probably do, do that, really well. That's a phenomenal idea. Yeah. The thing about like celeb- mass celebrities like that, I call them like analog celebrities, yeah. is um, they'll do well in retail. They won't do that well online because mm. um, no one online necessarily will probably care that much. Mm. Um, that doesn't happen with like influencers. Influencers can launch in retail and also have a great launch. But they can also flop in retail sometimes. They could too, also right? flop in retail, yeah. Hmm. Johnny Depp, Rom or Mezcal. I kind of like that. That could work. That's, let's do it. Johnny Depp's agent, if you're listening, call me. Call Nick. Let's do it. <laughs> um, you got to go in like two minutes. But anything else you want to talk about or talk to the audience about? Uncharted World, Adweek World, whoever's listening from Twitter, what does Nick Sharma want him to know? Um, I mean, what's the plug for Uncharted? I think we should tell people. I'm gonna make sure get we involved do that at, with Uncharted. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Uncharted. You probably heard this from the intro that I gave at the top of this episode, but it's a community of the world's best founders and investors. We do a monthly dinner series in New York that Nick's attended a few times. We do a big summit in the Hamptons, an annual party. It's sort of like a YPO, but I would say a little bit more of a inner circle type of deal. And now we've got this podcast with Adweek. We're looking at doing some shows, and it's growing organically, but. You know, we want the best in the world to come through and talk about what makes them special. The whole goal with this podcast is to try to find alpha from people like you've been on podcasts before. People have heard you speak if they know you. If they don't, hopefully they know you now. But we want to get alpha. We want to know totally. what makes Nick Sharma's brain work. Yeah. Uncharted is awesome. It's like the the perfect. Um, I always tell people like you, you can't start a business if you're not 200 percent into it. Thanks. Because of the emotional and mental maybe spiritual roller coaster mm. that goes on, um, you know, from, oh, am I going to make payroll to mm. shit? We just launched, you know, we just lost 30% of our revenue to, you know, just random things that come across. Yeah. And I think Uncharted, I, the reason I love it is because it's just, you can go to a dinner or you can even just message the the group chat and it's like anything you need is just right there. There's yeah. always people, everybody's willing to help each other. And um, it's also kind of a community where it's like your your ego and your resume is left at the door. And the second you go through the door, it's all about, okay, how can I talk to somebody, make a new friend, and then figure out how to help them? Love it. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for doing this. Much love. We'll see you at a dinner soon. Yes, sir. Have a good workout. Thanks. Thanks, bro. Much love.